0: Greetings, troubled listeners. Welcome back to the Troubled Men Podcast. I am Renee Coman, once again back in the safe house, on the line with my co-host, the original Troubled Man for Troubled Times and future Mayor of New Orleans, Mr. Manny Chevrolet. Welcome, Manny.
1: Hey, man, what's happening with you?
0: Oh, not too much. Just uh, got off my my whirlwind tour uh, that I left for right after we recorded the last podcast. uh, Took off and then I came back under uh, cover of darkness last night. Oh. So back in the city.
1: Yeah, Yeah, well, and the city is uh, demanding that people uh, get it together, man. Yep. Yeah, Yeah. saw that.
0: Yeah, saw. So, do you want to tell the people? uh, The mayor Cantrell just uh, uh, announced. It's I guess it's going into effect next week. uh, Monday, yeah. Monday, okay. Vaccine mandate for just about anything that's indoors, um, outside of your own home. Uh, You know, gyms, uh, uh, restaurants. uh, You know, uh, any kind of venue, uh, gigs. Well, how do you feel about that?
1: I think it's a smart thing to do. Yeah, I I think so. Uh, you know, if people continue to listen to their higher power, you know, and say, I don't need to do this. Well, then you're going to fuck it up for everybody else. Yes. You know? Yes. You know, the higher power, your higher power, you know, whatever religion or whatever you feel or what, what do you feel about and all, your higher power gave you everything. Didn't it? Didn't, didn't it? It gave uh, you the bounty of the earth.
0: Okay, sure.
1: You know, and it gave you everything the earth. You know, but don't you think your higher power gave you science?
0: Yes, exactly.
1: You know, so yeah, your guy, your your God or your your Buddha or whatever, you know, right, you know, it gave you this. Yes. He,
0: yes. Yes. He gives us good judgment and, and yeah. ability to learn and uh, and and uh, draw conclusions. Yes. It's it's not all right. about faith. Yes.
1: Right. So listen to your higher power, man. And right now, I think our mayor did a great job uh, by doing that. Now, will people, you know, there's going to be people, you know, who are going to like uh, uh, cheat and say, oh, yeah, I'm vaccinated. Here's my card. And they printed it up on their on their uh, printer at home. Mm-hmm. And stuff. So that's that's the nervous thing, you know. Yeah, uh, it's,
0: gonna... I, I think the percentage of people doing that will be very small. I mean, you know, what's what's the point of going through all that trouble? You know, I think those people may just get pissed off and stay away, which is another option for them. You know, <laughs> if you don't. Right. If you, if yeah. you don't want to deal with this. Don't you don't have to come here. You can just stay in your house and leave it to the rest of us.
1: Well, let's hope it, it works because, um, they're canceling everything, man. They yep. canceled jazz fest. Yep. They canceled voodoo fest. Right. They've canceled all sorts of fest and, you know, the stones were supposed to come down, mm-hmm. you know, for the jazz fest. And, uh, that's all, you know, it's not going to happen now, you know? And, uh, I I heard because a guy I work with he's uh, he knows a president of uh, one of the hospitals out in Jefferson Parish he he knows one of the big shots there Uh and and if this they need this to spike in like the next seven days if it doesn't spike in the next seven days we're in for a, a, a long haul.
0: Yeah. I mean know? they needed to to peak and then go start yeah. going back down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. right, yeah,
1: they need to the peak, yeah, exactly, to peak, not to spike. To peak in the next 7 days. If it doesn't peak in 7 days, then we're going to look at we're going to start looking at maybe shutdowns again and stuff like oh, that. Yeah. The yeah. thing I the thing that pisses me off is that, you know, uh, my daughter who's in high school, she started school this past Tuesday. And I just thought it was the stupidest thing to do. I think, why don't you just delay the start of school for one month? Just give it a month. Hmm. But and already first day of school, uh, someone who's a, a, a grade lower than her tested positive. So sure, you know, that's going to definitely
0: know, be happening.
1: You know, and uh, I just wish they would have. Uh, uh, delayed the start of school and it's and why start school in early august it's so freaking hot and stuff like that it's like why why would you do that why does new orleans start their school in august hurricane season right right it's so brutally hot why would why do they do that down here well
0: they didn't used to start that early but we have built in a whole lot more off days and, and and breaks in the school year, so I guess that they kind of figure, well, spread it out more, and uh, and then if we do have, um, you know, hurricane closures or, or anything like that, we'll we'll have some some days to play with, you know, it won't be cutting it so close to the bone. I think I was- think
1: I think yeah, that's probably part of the truth, but I also think it's because there's two weeks of Mardi Gras. Well, yeah, that's it. That's why they have to start it so early. And and these poor kids who play in bands and stuff like that, they don't see a fucking dime from this shit, man. They're working during Mardi Gras. And
0: yeah. Well, you know, they enjoy it. Those kids playing in those bands. That's uh, they look forward to, to, to doing that all year. You know, some people that, that don't have any professional aspirations or, you know, the, they're not going to go into that as a, as a, you know, professionally, those those parades they march in with the with the high school band may be their biggest performance uh, opportunity of their whole life, you know. So they, they, they so they, they want to be
1: a professional Mardi Gras marching no, band. No, I'm saying Isn't
0: no, a- no, they don't. They're not going to be professional musicians. So that's their one that, that that's a performance experience that may be one of the biggest of their lives because that's, that's that uh, would be the end of it. Anyway, they I know yeah. I know for a fact that the the, the kids don't feel like like uh, you know they're they're being worked. Worked hard. They they that's something they want to participate in. Well, well,
1: I don't know. I don't, I, have no, I Do you know that for a fact? Yeah.
0: Well, having, <laughs> no, having been I mean, in school bands and having been around musicians my whole life. Yes, musicians play music because not because someone makes them, but because they they love to play. So even you know people that aren't getting paid will do. it And that's that's why musicians really get paid so so little on the on the whole. Is that there's always a line of people standing behind you who are ready to do it for nothing. Um, you know, when you were talking about Jazz Fest being canceled, so that we got that news when we were on the road, just now on this trip, and we in fact were driving to Minneapolis, and all the gigs had been going great, you know, we played uh, Chicago, it was, uh, you know, packed house. Now, you know, again, we, we made all these plans when we had one set of, uh, of facts on the ground, and then as, as things evolved, You show up to some of these indoor gigs that are that are totally sold out and you're like "Mm, boy i don't know let's let's see how this works out you know i guess it's but anyway so so a very successful trip and you know had feeling good about everything riding to to uh, minneapolis you get that news jazz fest is canceled man it just felt like like all the energy drained out of our bodies collectively you know and you're like Okay, got to play a gig tonight. Uh, all right, gonna have to recalibrate. You know, get get my mind right for this. You know, and so we were as as we were riding over to the gig. I I, I thought about this in my hotel room. I said, you know, it, it it would probably be better off. We'd be better off not to mention Jazz Fest being canceled from the stage because it's going to cast a pall over the proceedings. You know, people have heard or, you know, they they will hear. But uh, let's let's not. Dwell on that from stage, and they're like, "Oh, that's a good idea, Renee, because yeah, we probably would have said something had had you not mentioned that." And I was, I told them the story that that this friend of mine had, had gone to see uh, Hank Ballard, uh, the inventor of the twist, uh, great, uh, you know, Hank Ballard and the Midnighters at Folk City in New York, and she was looking forward to it, and uh, she's there, and Hank Ballard comes out, and he says. Well, thank you all for coming tonight. I have some bad news, though. Uh, my wife was, was killed by an automobile today. But I'm going to go ahead and do the show anyway. <laughs> and everybody in the room is like, oh, man. Oh, geez. So then he starts the, starts the set and... You know, there he is doing his twist material, and it's just so sad in there. My friend said, I-, I felt bad, so I thought, well, I'll go and dance, and maybe that'll make something better. So there she is, like, doing the twist by herself on the, the floor of Folk City, you know. Uh, she said it didn't make it better. It just made it seem more sad, that, that one lonely twister out there. So anyway, <laughs> yeah, you got to be careful what you uh, introduce uh, uh, psychologically there in the-, in the moment for a gig. So we were able to we were able to get it up and and had another another uh, terrific gig but uh, but yeah man you like you're, you know dealing with this shit on a daily basis you don't know what the next shoe to drop is.
1: Well, I hope it drops, man, because I I I I I like I said like six months ago like uh, uh, some of us like me will be hoping that we'll be thinking man bring back the pandemic man because it's so much easier for me. You know I don't go out or anything like that, and uh, but you know, I work at the big university here in New Orleans, and the thing is is uh, they want they need those kids on campus in two weeks because if they don't have them on campus, they lose mi- uh, millions of dollars.
0: Sure, well, yeah, they want to – and now they're back to uh, – they got rid of all those temporary buildings, right? They're just back to regular uh, classrooms. Oh, yeah, stuff.
1: they're trying to make it as normal, but it's – I guarantee you, uh, if they don't – if if this thing doesn't peak by next week, it's going to go back to distance learning yeah. big time. It's going to go back there, and I hope it does because it will make my job a lot easier.
0: Okay. A uh, lot easier. Right, I honey. hope
1: it goes back to that because uh, – yeah, you, know, you got all these brats coming from all over the country and the world. It's like wh- I don't get the logic. It's like you, you want these people here, you know? And how are you? How are they gonna? How are they gonna police it? How are they gonna police it? I don't know.
0: Yeah, it's yeah. Right? Figuring it out as we go along seems like. Uh, well, yeah, of course. That's a, What else can we do? Um, well, you know, we had uh, we we we've, we've been talking. A recurring theme is about the uh, the road work, the surgeon waterboard yeah, tearing up the streets, yeah, yeah. and we talked about it a lot the last couple of episodes. Well, we actually had a, a listener, um, a confidential source, reach out to us and uh, uh, yeah. confirm our suspicions and said, "Yes, in fact, you know, because I said, it seems like they're starting these." These projects just to say they started something you know they must be getting getting money for each each uh, the each each little uh section they start the person said that's exactly what's happening the surgeon water board goes around and starts these uh street projects in different um neighborhood sectors different uh building sectors and uh, each time they do that, they get to collect startup funding, and that's how they manage their operating budget from month to month. So, hmm. so just like any uh, crooked painting contractor or, or you know, other contractor that you would hire to you know, work on your, the roof of your house, they go around, they uh, s- s- do a, a day of work, collect the deposit, and then never show up again
1: right yep I know well it's funny you mentioned the sewerage and water board it's um last my last my my bill for June and July were the exact same amount hmm so there's no one reading the meter
0: yeah they they usually say on the bill whether it's uh it's uh, uh what I say uh, estimated or or read
1: well that is yeah, exactly. It's like, they're not reading the meters. So I, I'm very fearful because in about four months from now, I'm going to get another huge, you know, spike in my bill, which I'll have to go down there and fight because
0: yeah. they don't
1: have anyone reading the meter. They're just, it's a guesstimate.
0: Right, you know? right. What they do is they guess and then they'll come around one month and read it and then they correct it by however much their guess was off. Um, yeah so yeah you could get a big balloon bill there you could get one depending on how they're guessing if they're guessing high you could get one that's lower than you think but uh yeah i don't know anybody that's very successful at arguing with them because uh well i I did
1: argue with them about eight months ago or six months ago and i won
0: oh really okay i did
1: win only because the lady i was the first one in line and the lady was like i guess had a couple cups of coffee she was feeling very chipper and she's like oh no, this is wrong. And she did a background thing. And she also, she she admitted, she says, we don't have people reading meters.
0: We yeah, don't. Right.
1: We yeah. don't have them. So don't pay this, pay this. And I, I, uh, I had to sleep with her.
0: Oh, well, uh, yeah.
1: <laughs> she was like 69 years old.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I guess you got to do you know, what you got to do, man. I
1: got to do what I got to do. But, uh, she she was uh she was pretty kinky
0: man. Okay, well yeah, it sounds like yeah. it sounds like you. Should oh, because like, we
1: did it right in her cubicle, so that was like crazy going nuts. Right, you know? right. You know, and uh, you know the the uh, the people kept uh, ringing the bell.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Stuff, you know, <laughs> I was like in next next in line. You know, like the, the deli service. Yeah. But anyway, you know, listen, I got I, I want to talk about um you know I'm in the midst of this election.
2: Yes and
1: uh, right now i'm doing like i said i think a week ago right now it's early you know it's early they're not doing much media coverage of all the other candidates who are running uh against the incumbent who's probably going to win um but um you know i've been filling out all these questionnaires from all these organizations that want to want to know how you feel about their stuff and or you know what's your view of them and so like I filled out this uh, one questionnaire and it was from the, uh, 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 the green people of new Orleans, you know, the people who want to preserve our green space and all that. Sure. And um, first question I, I, they said to me was how will you preserve our green space? And I I said, uh, I will, I will stop sleeping in our parks. Right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, You were mentioning
0: this on the last, uh, last episode. Yeah.
1: And then I got this other questionnaire from the LGBTQYT community.
0: Okay.
1: Yeah, and uh, they said they said, "How have you supported the LGBTQYT community?" And I said, "Well, uh, I go to decadence every year. You know, that's how I support it. And I lent my gay cousin some money." So that's how I support it. Okay. And uh, so those are just questions that you get and stuff like that. But most of the time, my answer for most of these questions is, I don't know what this means.
2: <laughs> sure.
1: <laughs> you know.
0: Yeah, well, you use that answer a lot,
1: you know. So yeah, it's, it's, I, I it's, don't you know, know what this purpose. means. Yeah, yeah. yeah, but I was looking back because uh, I had to open my old uh, uh, campaign stuff, and I was looking back at the – some of the uh, from someone this is like a thing I got last four years ago when it was a runoff between uh, Cantrell and Charbonnet. Remember Char- Desiree? Sure, yeah, Char-
0: yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. And I, I don't know for some reason I kept this. I got this in the mail, and it was an anti-Charbonnet uh, flyer. It was, you know, it was produced by Cantrell, and it says Desiree Charbonnet in December of two thousand fifteen. French Quarter strip clubs were cited for prostitution, drug trafficking, and acts. Now they're pouring cash into her campaign. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah. You
1: know, It's a lot of smear stuff. And yes, you know, yes. Desiree Charbonnet, the queen of the corrupt crew. Yeah. With the help of her corrupt crew, Desiree has taken $60,000 from bars and strip club operators. You know?
0: Yeah, and I like
1: Desiree. Her, her 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 niece goes to school with my child.
0: Yeah, no, I was a Desiree. I was a uh, Charbonnet supporter. So, uh, okay, yeah, yeah, cool. Was, but, uh, so
1: in other news, you know, mm-hmm. I'm not into comic books or anything like that. I, I never have. I never liked comic books. Um, but I did see that, um, you know, uh, the Batman series. There's a new Batman comic book coming out. Where uh, uh, Robin is bisexual,
0: huh? Wasn't he always? Well, of course, yeah. Uh, I, always I, I just always weird. assumed that that. Was yeah, the well, case. I thought yeah. he, you know
1: he had a thing for Batman, but he right. also had a thing for Batgirl. Yeah, sure. You know, so yeah, but this uh, I, I actually uh, got to read some of the comic book, and uh, it was funny because uh, Rob, when Robin's not in his outfit, he's having this relationship. With a uh, another guy, and he can't tell the other guy that he's Robin. Oh, uh, okay. And so what happens is Robin has, you know, his his Robin when he's not in his outfit, his costume, is dating this guy, and this guy gets into trouble, but Robin can't help him. You know, it's really crazy going nuts. I I don't know. Okay, uh, well, uh, but uh, uh, everything is so PC. You know, it's like a test if you laugh at anything. You know, uh, uh, it's crazy. And, uh, but, um, I'm, uh, I'm all right with all this stuff,
0: you know? Right okay. on, right on. Yes. Uh, so we, we move forward. We stumble, stumble forward in the dark, man. Uh, uh, you know, just gr- groping for our, our way forward. Well, uh, uh, we've covered a, a bunch of stuff here. Maybe we should get to our guest before sure, he, yeah. too much Let's time to goes it. by. He's,
1: exci- he's exciting to me.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, he's an exciting guy. Well, uh, so our, our, we have a terrific guest today. He's a great piano player, singer. He's a club owner. He's uh, a managing partner in the the Continental Club in Houston. He's uh, he's had a terrific career. Uh, uh, founder of the Neptunes, but he's also spent a lot of time playing with uh, Mojo Nixon and Jello Biafra. It's a little bit of a theme we have running in these shows here, and we'll we'll get to all that and more. Uh, you may know him as a wet dog. You may know him as Polka Pete. Tonight we have the great Mr. Pete Gordon.
3: Hey, fellas. Hey, Pete. i tell you what, do you? I, 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 one of you guys told me you were popular. Where are all the chicks? What's going on here? <laughs>
0: uh, well, you know, we 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 have had a, a lot of female guests, but some of them agree to it, and I, I think they may listen to a, a show or two, and then and then sometimes they they come up with some excuse as to why it's uh you know maybe they're going to be too busy.
3: Troubled men, oh, no, troubled, hey, men. Listen, troubled right. men.
1: We are. Yes. Yeah. But. Chicks dig us. They always yeah. have
0: dug us. Sure, sure, sure. Now they dig the show. They just uh, they yeah, they may be reluctant just, to put themselves in the in the in the crosshairs of of, uh, of the
1: show.
3: Songs are listening. Right, right, right.
0: Well, Pete, so, so Pete, you're originally from uh, from DC. But uh, you've been in Austin, Texas, for a good long time. You moved there from D.C., and then now you're in Houston. But you know there's a a through line between uh, D.C. musicians and and Austin. And and I know you you s- moved there with uh, with the Neptunes, which was Jake Flack and Steve Watson, who's a former guest of ours. I know you're familiar That's with right, that, that show. But uh, what? so and and i've seen i saw some pictures recently of 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 that band when you first started and man jake looks uh like he's about 14 you look like you're about 11 in that picture
3: (laughs) Uh, i might have been 11 we we started that band very early and uh you know thankfully uh we you know back then it was only 18 to go to the bars and we were able to go to the bars and play and you know all our friends, whatever, passed fake IDs to get in, and you know we were able to, you know, rock and roll at a very young age back then, which was great, which was what made rock and roll alive back then, you know.
1: Did you meet? Did you meet Steve in school?
3: I did. Steve and I met in school, and then uh, he immediately kept telling me about a friend he played hockey with uh jake flack he's like you got to meet my buddy jake he's he's just starting this band and uh he's a great guitar player and you guys had just hit it off and be great and uh and he finally put us together and, and he wasn't kidding it was great we've been friends ever since so that was about i was 12 years old maybe or so yeah now was-
0: how did you start off playing that boogie woogie piano style what got you into that as a you know as a middle class kid
3: uh, I always love. I just I loved rock and roll. You know, and DC was such a great place uh, to see rock and roll. We had great players all around. From you know, like nils locker grew up in my neighborhood. And we'd go see Danny Gatton all the time. Evan Johns, uh, and I, I just loved real rock and roll. There was a great radio station. I don't know if you remember WHFS, which was, right. just played incredible music. And all the uh W A M U and uh the BAM on that station would play great blues and rock and roll. And so, you know, I just I just always loved it. And my parents were, you know, old hippies and loved uh, loved music and played me all kinds of music. And uh so it just fell into my lap thankfully right
0: so they were happy to have a son uh playing a degenerate rock and roll and oh big there.
3: time they were my whole neighborhood was uh I thankfully grew up in a place that was very supportive of a young man wanting to be a rock and roll player so it, it worked out great and you know having you know nils Lofgren, you know as a neighbor you know showing me that you could this is what you do this is what people do that's how people make a living they play music you know
0: yeah. He was kind uh, and, of mentoring you there.
3: In a in a way for sure, yeah. And not only him, there was other people around the neighborhood too that played in local bands and whatnot that weren't quite as popular as him. Of course he's, you know, one of the biggest to ever come out of DC, but uh that helped me along the way too. My piano teacher had a band, he taught me how to learn, you know, teach myself and how to right. play by ear and show me how to play boogie woogie and then I just, you know, went went from there you know
0: right started digging into the records now pete b- before i ever uh had met you i heard a story about you and manny will like this story it's uh it, it, it really it, it put you in a good light in my eyes and uh, i think Derek houston had gone to see a band that you were playing in play at Tipitinas, and it was like a monday or tuesday night very off night maybe the summer or something is hardly anybody or not a big crowd there but he, he said, Yeah, I went to see my buddy last night and from the stage he gets on the microphone, and he goes, If I could have four Gin and Tonics sent up to the piano, that would be amazing. <laughs> <laughs>
3: that was probably the neptunes over there <laughs> and i
0: thought wow that's a guy i I, uh, I like where his head's at you know he knows he's going to drink those four gin and tonics we may as well just order them all at once and get them lined up here on the piano to get through this uh this long gig with not a lot of people here
3: <laughs> we used to uh yeah we had a lot of fun back then we we drank a lot and caroused a lot and had a great time Playing tips was always great to us. Always gave us great gigs, playing on WTUL and all that, doing live shows for them, and it was great. Always in New Orleans.
0: So, so that band, the Neptunes, y'all move there as a group to, to Austin, and yeah. uh, you, things kind of start happening for you right off the bat. I mean, did you do you fall in with the Continental Club right away, or, or- well, actually,
3: at that time the Continental. It was funny. Jake and I went and visited. Uh, we were kind of thinking of maybe moving to New Orleans or Austin, but Austin was more of our, we weren't really a funky band. We were more, you know, playing the style of Joe Weely and the Thunderbirds and, and, and Doug Son that kind of, you know, rock and roll style. Right. And so we felt Austin was a better fit. And so we moved to Austin and we knew Evan Johns had moved to Austin. He had gone down and joined the Roy brothers. We had a great friend named Sean mentor that was real instrumental with us in DC. And he had moved to Austin and, uh, and he was like, you guys got to come. So we went down to Austin and visited. And it was, oh, this is the place. This is incredible. And, and Austin uh, was
0: cheap to live there at that time. And there's totally a of cheap, you know, It was yeah. a couple
3: hundred bucks for our band house. And, right. Uh, you know, I've never had a job. And none of us needed jobs. And when we got to town, we just immediately started playing music. And, you know, we knew a few people. Like Evan Johns would let us open shows for him and whatnot. And word got around pretty quick. And it was such a smaller town back then. Uh and people, you know, started liking us, and Joe Ely kind of took us under his wing uh and produced our demos and whatnot, and the fabulous Thunderbirds saw us and let us open up a few shows. And I mean one of the first shows we played in Austin after we'd been there just a few months, the Fabulous Thunderbirds invited us to play their T Bird River Riverfest, which was uh you know, the Fabulous Thunderbirds headline, Stevie Ray Vaughan, Joe Walsh. Carlos Santana, Bonnie Raitt, Doug Somm, Nick Lowe, uh, Bill yeah. Carter and the Blame, and, <laughs> and us to open wow. the show and, and introducing the Neptunes. And it was like, you know, well, we've come to the right place. This is Fuck great. Fuck yeah. So, uh, yeah, it was, it was a great town. It, it's still a great town. It was an amazing town back then. But funny, at that time, the Continental Club had closed uh, the folks that had owned it at that time closed it down, and they opened up Liberty Lunch, okay. which you probably played a few times. Yeah, um, and then it was it remained closed for a little while, and then then my partner Steve Wartheimer got a hold of it and uh, opened it up in the late eighties. So.
0: Right, and uh, he's got what a what a tremendous job Steve has done. Just I played there. the The last gig of the tour was. Uh, Played there at the Continental in Austin on uh, Tuesday night. It was, it was like the 42nd uh, uh, a- anniversary of the Charlie Sexton birthday celebration gig. Nice. So it was uh, Will Sexton, his brother, whose birthday is the day before Charlie's. We did Will's whole uh, record that the Iguanas backed him up on about a year yeah. or so ago. And, uh, yeah, it was a, a great night, man.
3: It's such a great place. And Steve has done an amazing job at it. But, uh, you know, when he opened it up, it was it was a struggle down there in South Congress.
0: Yeah, it's amazing being seeing seeing what what, you know, well, Steve always does that. And y- y'all did the same thing in Houston where you pick a an area that's kind of dying or dead and you just establish it one business at a time and you kind of yeah. work it down the street. And, and man, every, everybody oh, build
3: a neighborhood. Yeah,
0: exactly.
3: Yeah. So yeah, Steve and I became great friends back then. He, the Neptunes, were popular of that size of a venue band back then, and Steve would book us, and you know we hit it off immediately and became great friends. So, and remained friends for years and until we decided to go into business together
0: so yeah yeah (laughs) well and and billy gibbons uh gets involved with the neptunes early on He yeah
3: you know we recorded the record we were thrilled to go cut the record uh at riverside studios in austin which where where stevie ray you know cut all his hits over there and even Mm -hmm. christopher cross people like that had cut over there and uh, Richard Mullins was the engineer over there, and we were just thrilled to be there, and had a great grand piano and beautiful thing. And we recorded the record, and we loved it. And then Billy came out and saw us one night in Houston, uh, and he, he loved the band. He's like, man. And then our record company gave him a copy of the record. Like, what do you think of this? He He's like, I think I can do it better. And uh-huh. so we went in, and uh, we went, we Came down to Houston to re-record the record at ZZ Top studio, uh, which was kind of funny. We walk into the studio, and it's just this kind of warehouse-y type neighborhood. And we walk in and look in the back, and there's the Eliminator, that car that was in every video they had in the 80s. Uh, iconic right. hot rod sitting there in the studio, you know, huh. in all these, you know, like, these are the dice that muddy water played with muddy waters played with and you know all these pictures of billy and dusty and everybody with all these you know iconic you know blues and guys and it was just you know overwhelming to be there but billy was so cool and great and kind and uh you know we we cut our record again (laughs) at his studio so
0: Huh, and the record company paid for that to be to be recut, or, or he just did it for free, or
3: something. Billy kind of just did it. Uh, yeah. The record company was a startup company and it didn't really have much money, but he believed in the band and he wanted to do it, and so
0: nice, uh, nice, which,
3: which was cool. And it was his studio; it didn't really cost him anything to do sure.
0: it. Sure, sure. So, so, but then it's not too long after that, that record gets recorded that uh, the, the Neptunes uh, kind of break up or something.
3: Yeah, we, we released the record and, you know, the record, honestly, we should have released the record two or three years before that. We kept trying to get a record deal, uh, you know, like Rounder had offered us a deal a couple of years before. We probably should have taken it and put the record out or whatnot, you know, and we just kept, and we were still just, you know, since we didn't have a full record out, you know, we had a 45 and some tapes and whatnot, we never really got that much traction, um and then the record came out. We're starting to get some traction and some great things written about us and people are starting to notice us and we'd been touring the country for the last few years, playing in front of everybody, uh opening up for everybody that would let us and and you know, people were taking notice of us. But uh Jake felt he needed to do something else and uh, you know, he wanted to you know just he was kind of burnt out, and he he said, yep. "I'm I'm going to take a break." And you know, we we're like, "Well, we we can't take a break. I guess this is the end of it," you know. And uh, so we we stopped the band, uh, much to the dismay of the record company and a few other people. But <laughs> right. uh, who is Jake? Uh, he was kind of the singer, songwriter, guitar player uh, of the okay. band. You know, we all uh, we all did it. The four of us were all you know in it. But he was he was the front man, and so he pulled out. But, you know, thankfully, uh, literally uh, a day later, uh, Mojo called, you know, and I'd never met Mojo Nixon before. I'd been a fan, you know, of what he you know, Elvis is everywhere and all that stuff was so great. And Like, I love this guy, you know. I can't believe we hadn't opened for him or ran into him somewhere. You know, he'd played with the Beat Farmers, the Dell Lords, Dash Rip Rock, whatnot, and uh, all his buddies. And Mojo had just recorded a record with all those guys backing him up. And uh, he was looking for a band to go on tour because they, all those guys that played on his record were on tours themselves. You know, they couldn't go on tour with Mojo. Right. And so, you know, Mojo's looking for a band and, you know, he calls Bill Davis from Dash Reprog. Yeah, get that guy. That piano player is crazy. You know, he's awesome. Get him for <laughs> sure. If he's available, you can't go wrong. And so Mojo called and we hit it off immediately. And uh, he was looking for a drummer too. So thankfully uh, uh, we had our the Neptune's drummer, Mike Middleton, started you know playing with Mojo, and he and I headed out immediately. And literally, like we'd gone from opening up shows to the first show with Mojo, we fly into Arizona and we're playing in the back of a, a stadium on a big bill. We're pretty high up on the bill, and there, and there must have been twenty five thousand people at this show, you know. Nice. And it was just wham, the bus is waiting for us. We got hotel rooms, and we take off on this you know, big tour across the U.S. Like, well, this is the way you do it right here. Right, so right, we right. felt you like, that. you know, Jake leaving was sad f- for about a day. And then it was, well, this is the greatest thing that ever happened yeah, to us. Yeah, you yeah, know? yeah.
0: then you sent him a fruit basket the next, the next <laughs> week.
3: Yeah, yeah. So who replaced Jake? Well, the, the Neptunes ended as a band. So we oh. we, we then became Mojo Nixon oh, oh, and oh, the Toad oh. Lickers.
1: Oh, okay. And okay. so we toured,
3: we toured nonstop you know, we joined him in the late 89 or so and uh, all through the 90s. So what happened
1: to Jake?
3: Oh, Jake's great. And we're still best of pals. And he has a couple of great bands out of Washington, D.C. now and uh he's still writing incredibly great songs and renee produced one of his records with a great band in new orleans thousand dollar car right didn't you produce well, that record
0: well, well i i i produced some sessions on him uh and and uh i don't know that any of that stuff ever came out but Ooh. but yeah man you know jake you may, you may not know him but he was uh one of the singers of thousand dollar car the band in new orleans he lived here for a while
3: yeah jake's the best he's I no never saw yet. a thousand dollar. Might have been
0: before your time, more or less. Yeah. But, uh, but he's yeah. a, a again a childhood friend of Steve Watson's, and uh, and he's Jake is back up in in D.C. And the last time the iguanas played up there, I think Jake's band played on the bill with us. So he's, yeah. he's, he's st- still well, doing it.
1: Steve Watson's dad died recently.
3: Yeah, yeah you recently, were telling to- yeah. us
0: about that. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's very, yeah, we talked about he that. He was of podcasts, a hockey
1: all star.
3: Uh, right, Beyond that, he was just one of the greatest guys to ever walk the earth. He was. Such a great guy. I'm so supportive of him.
1: For a long time, he held the record for most penalty minutes. That is a right. true fact.
0: Yes, yes. Um, Pete, we, we kind of get into little grooves of uh, of guests that are kind of connected, and we actually just put out one that was with uh, um, Bill Davis from, from Dash Rip Rock. I love Bill. You came up on the podcast that came out today, so that was one of the the reasons. Like, oh yeah, Pete, and I, I'd written your name down a million years ago. It's like that's a, a great reminder. We did okay. we did a
3: great tour with uh, Dash Riprock in in Mojo, uh, but we went to Norway and we couldn't quite afford to bring all the toad liquor, so it was just Mojo and myself, and uh, and Dash Riprock in in Hoki. And at the time, Chris Luckett was playing drums. Uh, Lucky Dog
0: uh-huh. was
3: going to be the, you know, and Bill would play as well and play the uh, set over there in Norway with us. So they would be the rhythm section for Mojo and the Toad Lickers. And so we go to Norway. We had, we had the best time. But the whole the problem was, like, Dash Rip Rock would open the show, right? And they'd mm-hmm. blast through their set. And it was fucking awesome. And everybody's like, oh, my God, this band's the coolest band ever, you know? And then here we come, me and Mojo and we go to try to blast you know blow them off stage like we do in the states where we have our band uh-huh. but those guys they never really learned our songs so, <laughs> so we're fumbling through the mojo set with hokey like what keys us in oh uh-huh. shit you know and uh, but we had a great time it was uh it was one of the most did you get laid a lot of, in
1: norway uh,
3: well, the Norwegian ladies have always been very kind to me, Manny.
1: Yeah, I know. Okay. To me, also. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: You spent a lot of time in Norway, Manny?
1: Well, the only time I was in Norway, Sweden, and stuff like that, uh, me, uh, you know, I'm a dark haired Latino guy. Uh, it, it was, it was, it was, you know, yeah, it was huh. good times. Oh, okay. Good
0: time. Didn't I, realize you'd spend any time over there. Very I good. I spent,
1: track. uh. International traveler. Uh, well, my first time in Europe, I went with my good buddy, uh, Jimmy Frank, who's a big listener of the show. We spent some time in Sweden and Norway.
0: Oh, okay. And,
1: uh, you know, those blonde women, man, they love those, uh dark skinned you know dark haired guys and we had you know we had fun man nice. we had a lot of fun
0: nice nice yeah. So, uh, so Pete, you you're, you you wind up spending like ten years on the road with Mojo, more or less. Like yeah, you guys are hitting it hard, make six records during all that time, and and Jello Biafra, who we again we talked about last week, because yeah, is, uh, y'all cross paths. You wind up doing a record with him, a uh, Prairie Home Invasion.
3: Yeah, great record, and uh, <laughs> we, we cut that. Jello, o had actually, uh, he'd wanted to do something with Mojo for a long time, but then uh, he came out and saw us one night. And and Jello said there's a Mojo Nixon documentary coming out. Uh, uh, it was supposed to be released last year, but the COVID thing messed it up. But it's going to be released this year at South by Southwest Film Festival. But, and there's a nice piece in the movie where Jell-O's like, well, I, I really want to record with, uh, with Mojo. But when I saw them live and I saw Wet Dog playing the piano, I, I had to go and record with that guy, like so. When when we made a great rock and rock and fun record, yeah, it was great. And Jello nice. and I have been pals ever since. So,
0: yeah, man, that's that's so cool that he's uh you know put out all the all these records on on all these roots bands and stuff as well as yeah. As, as all uh, the he's rest a huge
3: of supporter of uh of of music and local bands and and any kind of band. And I, honestly, when I first met Jello. He is a good story. He says, he says, uh, you know, who did you used to play with? I said, well, you know, I have this band out of D.C. called the Neptunes. And, you know, we moved down to Austin. We, we had 145 out. Like, wait a minute. The Neptunes, you had a 45. Was it a red lettering in a black and white picture? I'm like, oh, shit. Yeah. Actually, that is the 45 that about, you know, 103 people bought in the D.C. area Mm-hmm. Uh, shock i mean he's such an avid record collector it, it's it's unbelievable but he's the greatest guy in
0: but so he actually had you record or he had he, he had, had, a, he had the neptunes
3: 45 i mean he was in dc once or whatever went to record store and bought it you know nice. Like, that's how much of an avid record collector he is it, it's it's crazy right so but we did that record uh with jello just a few years ago recorded it live in new orleans I believe it was called the 12 bar over there or something, the 12 right, bar. Right, yeah,
0: yeah, Bill was talking that. about that, uh-huh.
3: And, uh, yeah, it was Bill Davis, uh, myself, Fred LeBlanc was playing drums, uh, Pepper Keenan played guitar on it, and then we had a bunch of nutty horn guys on there, I guess mainly from the Morning 40 guys.
0: Yeah, and, and Egg Yolk Jubilee, I thought heard, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's- yeah, yeah, yeah.
3: Yeah, yes, that's the right. New
0: Orleans, Ranch and Soul All Stars, right?
3: Yeah, and, we, and yes. Jello wanted to sing a record, and Bill had been Davis had been goading him for years to do this record of all New Orleans classics, and so we, you know, doing working in a coal mine and all these, you know, great New Orleans songs. Which in he wanted an all New Orleans band, but Jello said I got to have Wet Dog on the piano, so. I was, the, I was the only guy who wasn't New Orleans on the right. On well, the you thing.
0: understand the vernacular of a New Orleans piano play. Yeah,
3: I so. love it. Uh, uh, yeah. Love it. Love it. Love it. What is Jello's real name? That's uh, that, that you've got his real name. That's his real name. Yeah. Yeah. Okay.
0: I, I always hate to know people's real names. If they have a name that they that they've chosen for themselves, I always feel like that's their real name.
3: That is a real name. Mojo Nixon, Jell-O Biafra, those are real names.
0: Right. John Doe, I don't want to know what his real name is. Uh, you know, uh, Lux Interior, I don't want to know what his real name I mean, what his, his birth certificate name is. In fact, we had this this guy, a friend of ours, who was on the, the show, uh, Damian Youth. And then we had another guest who grew up with Damian in H- Hammond or wherever, and he, he he blurted out, he goes, you know, his name is such and such. I was like, man, don't tell me that. And I immediately forgot it intentionally because, uh, yeah, no, he's, he's Damien Youth, you know, like Manny Chevrolet. Well, uh, Pete, you know, we always take a little break. And Manny, I'm looking at my drink and, and it seems like. I could like, use uh, a drink. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What do you think, All right. Manny?
1: Yeah, we'll take a break. The nation knows what to do. We'll be right back.
2: Me, your mama, and some other whore. Floating down the river on a shithouse door. Gonna tie my pecker to my leg, to my leg. Gonna tie my pecker to my leg. <laughs> it's going steady with a pig in the barn.
0: Back. back with Mr. Manny Chevrolet, I am Renee Coleman. Back with our guest, Mr. Pete Gordon. Uh, now, Pete, you know we've 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 had uh, sponsors uh, on the show at, at times. Uh, we're back to our, our our original sponsor, Loose Change. Which is oh, simply, yeah. Yeah, if, if you have any loose change in your pockets or your couch cushions, uh, you know, you can help support the Troubled Men podcast.
3: I, and, I am uh, on a constant lookout to the ground to find out, find the change on the ground, pick it up and put it in my change pocket.
0: Well, you know, I actually have a theory about that, about uh, like people that are, that are too happy. They look up in the sky and they, they, they pull stuff out of their pockets and, and uh, money falls out on the ground. And they don't notice it because they're so, you know, occupied with, you know, whatever's going on, in their future.
3: It's and a keen then, eye that follows right behind them. Yes. And
0: then other people <laughs> who are more depressed they're sad, they're looking down at the ground, they come along and they, they, they see that money and they get to pick it up. It kind of uh, averages thing, things out a little bit, you know, it's kind of. You know, it's,
1: and those people like us who look down at the ground, we're the ones who never step in shit.
0: There you go. There you go. You you don't step in anything and you and you, yeah. I, I found I found a 20 dollars bill on the, on the ground at the Continental Club in uh oh, in yeah. the other night. Yeah, that was so I mean was, if you uh, work uh, in
3: the bar business, definitely look on the ground. I mean, that's where all the money is. I learned that at an early age, yes.
0: Sure, sure. So, uh, you know, we, we have the, uh, the PayPal account. We have the, the Patreon page you can sign up for. You know, it's a listener-supported operation here. And, uh, you know, if you're enjoying the show, subscribe to it on iTunes or, you know, wherever you listen to podcasts. Uh, follow us on social media. You know, it's a, uh, at Troubled Men Podcast on, uh, you know, everywhere, uh, Twitter, Facebook, uh, Instagram. Um, uh, we have the t-shirts you can always find those links you know if you want to want to represent the trouble man podcast with a with a a nice uh, shiny t-shirt. Well, uh, so Pete, um, you know, back to you. So, uh, you know, you, you're in Mojo's band for a long time, but you've been in so many great bands. Uh, you know, you're obviously seen as a, a fun guy to be around, great piano player, exciting performer. You've been in, you, you were talking about the Leroy Brothers. You, were, you played in that band for a while, right? I did,
3: yeah. I'm on one of their records.
0: All these other bands, New Duncan Imperials, uh, Two Hoots and a Holler. Now, I didn't realize that you were in that band, but I was a huge when the iguanas first started playing it at, at uh, in Austin. Um, man, I love that band. You know, Two Hoots uh, and a
3: Holler, and Ricky Broussard yeah. is amazing, amazing talent, amazing songwriter. He's incredible. I loved him, and we were we were running buds too, which is bad for both of us but we had a yeah. great time <laughs>
0: yeah well i was thinking you know like ricky can be a volatile guy i don't know if mojo is volatile or not but he's he i get the impression that he would be but he's actually
3: absolutely absolutely not he's he's the okay one guy right. you'd possibly be around at any time right on and all about business
0: you seem to uh to to be able to get along with anybody uh do you do you always keep your cool or
3: uh i do i like i like to keep my cool and i like you know i mean Unfortunately, in the music business, the kind of more, let's say, volatile, the more kind of a little bit insane people are, uh, that's, that's where the talent is. It always has been. If you look at the great talents of the world from James Booker to Thelonious Monk, guys like that, are, they're completely nuts. You yeah. Know? And if you, yeah. Can, if you can't get along with people that are completely nuts in the music business, <laughs> you're in the wrong business.
0: <laughs> right. Right. So,
3: I love people that are completely nuts. I I, 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 even in my social life, I like to surround myself with complete nuts. You know.
0: Sure. Well, that's why you're on the Men podcast. <laughs> so you know, I, I knew you'd fit right in.
3: Yeah, I'm going to get me a t-shirt.
0: Yeah. Oh. Oh. Definitely. Yeah. I definitely got to get to hook you up with a, with a t-shirt. Um. You and Steve Wertheimer partnered in opening the Continental in Houston. And yeah. And that was like 20 years ago or like like uh, 2000.
3: 2000 you know, like. we we opened this club down here. It was, we hatched the idea probably 1998 or so, 99 and uh I worked up at the Austin club and managed it uh for a while, for about a year just to prove to myself I could do it, prove to Steve I could do it cuz I never had a job before. I never even worked I mean I worked in bars my whole life, but I'd never been behind the bar or never managed it or you know. Uh-huh. So I did that for about a year. And then I then I moved down and started build, building the club down here. And, you know, Steve and I were uh, real fortunate uh, to have our friend Bob Schultz, who you know, a uh, great supporter of music and helped us find this building to buy and uh, um, and been so supportive in helping us create this neighborhood down here when we got down here. But, yeah. So, Steve and I, we had talked for years about doing uh, a club. We thought about doing one in Austin for a while. We looked around some spots in Austin. And then at the time, about that time, as as you know, Rene, uh, like the club Bonton in Houston had closed. Mm -hmm. And that's where we had played a lot. And and Satellite Lounge was kind of on the outs. And uh, it, it just, Houston needed a good, you know, 250 sheet club to you know support all the bands that we love and uh yep. so that's uh we wanted to uh, expand it here and to make that happen you know steve grew up down here in the houston area and so he was thrilled that i wanted to move down here to make it make that happen so and i didn't want to open a competing you know i mean if i was going to open a club in austin i wanted to open the continental club so i didn't want to open it you know Right. A, a competing club in Austin, you know, so it seemed much a better idea to move down to Houston. And it's, it, I always loved Houston. It was one of the best spots for Mojo for years, always great for the Neptunes. We always packed the house, and there was always great people here. And uh, it, it Houston's just been a wonderful place for me. It was a great place for me to raise my family, my couple kids, and uh, uh, I, I love it down here. And, and, and now that Austin is what it is now, I'm really glad I'm down here. I, I think this is an incredible place
0: <laughs> compared yeah,
3: to is. what Austin has, uh, to me, unfortunately, become in the last 20 years. It's still a great place. I'm not saying anything bad about it, but it's a different place
0: yeah it's Austin has become very uh, affected by the the big money that's in there and, yeah. and uh, Houston is, still has the, the you the, can
3: still the, be weird and, and mess up and you know and do your crazy nut job stuff down here in Houston. people don't care you know
0: yeah and you can afford to live there
3: it's cheaper, more affordable and you know there's great blues clubs down here and neighborhood clubs that you, you, I always say that Houston is so great because we have no tourists. Like the blues clubs in the neighborhoods of the third ward and the fifth ward are still there because there's no tourists to go over there and screw them up. You know, it's still a Sunday night blues club at Mr. Gino's, which unfortunately has been closed for the COVID and and since Harvey, but uh, the silver slipper up in the fifth ward is unbelievable. Scene up there blues that you can't get in New Orleans. You can't get in Chicago. You can't get in Austin because the tourists mess it up. Okay. We have no tourists in Houston.
0: <laughs> right, right. Well, so running that club all those, all those, all these years, uh, you know that that cool head must have have come in handy on on many occasions. Uh, you know, run, running a club is no being in a band is is challenging. Uh, dealing with bands is even more challenging. I would imagine. Huh? It is
3: in its own way. You know, I mean, thankfully, so many of the bands are old friends of mine and whatnot, but. Uh, We've had some incredible nights here at the club in, uh in Houston, including you two being in here uh, one night, uh, and you know Ronnie Wood and Ian McLaughlin playing one night. We, I mean, we've had some amazing nights, not to mention you know Bobby Blue Bland on stage, one of his last shows, and Buzu Chavis and stuff like that that I just adore. So uh, it, it's been it's been incredible to be on both sides of the business. I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed it. So.
0: And, and you, you still continue to, uh, to grind out with the, these new bands. Uh, again, I'm always impressed by the, you know, the bands you start and, uh, there, there's a thing in, in Austin and, and Houston, I guess, where, with these, uh, kind of high concept bands, uh, you know, like, <laughs> like, uh, you know, you're this one band, the, uh, the light rock express.
3: That is a, that is a high concept that, uh, it, 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 that started many years ago but we, we started playing those light rock songs from the 70s and realized how amazing those songs are to learn as a musician mm-hmm. and to learn all those chords and it, it was just incredible and we the more we got into it we we're like oh my god we got to start a band around this and this was before the yacht rock thing or whatever got started uh-huh. and all these bands we start we start completely for ourselves and right? uh, and because we enjoy doing it, and, and then you know, thankfully, you know, you enjoy something and it, you do it well, people do enjoy it, so
0: you have a, fun, you find an audience, and then, like, along those same lines, uh, uh, disco expressions, another high the, concept.
3: The yeah, we're playing Saturday night, which disco expression, I always find kind of funny, It was one of our lowest concepts of like, okay, what if, what if we played some disco songs? Our lead, Mitch Paul's, our the bass player, one of the main singers of the Light Rock Express. Great voice, but he can dance that disco like John Travolta. Like yeah. and, and we always well, laugh. What
1: is this. that club? Where's that club that Urban Cowboy was filmed? Yeah, at? Yeah,
3: down in Pasadena. That's the uh, Gillies. And so he could do that stuff and dance. And so we're like, all right, what if we what if we start a band? You're the lead singer. You don't play the bass. We'll get a bass player. We we'll get some horns, and we start. We play all these disco songs that everybody, you know, mm-hmm. it'd be stupid. It'd be fun. And mm-hmm. of course, the stupidest idea we've ever had is the most successful, most popular one we ever had. Really?
0: People <laughs> love turn out. <laughs> <they're> like, okay.
3: <laughs> now, you know, after a few years, like, oh geez, we gotta play that disco song again. Okay, you know, whatever. It's fun. People love it, so it's fun. Right on. So
1: how do you feel about the governor of Texas?
3: Well, Texas. you know, uh, he's he's not uh, he, I didn't vote for him, I'll tell you that much. And there what he's go. doing now, it doesn't uh doesn't doesn't help my business, but uh, I don't I don't know what I don't know what to do now.
1: He's in a wheelchair.
3: He is. Can we talk about people in wheelchairs? He's just a fucking prick. So all right, yeah. okay. Wait. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. The wheelchair has nothing to do with it. It's it's a, it's all his problems are all from the shoulders up. I mean, as far as Correct. you're concerned, you know, yeah, 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 yeah. It's the concept. Yeah, I thought the, we were not the mobility.
3: Yeah, I, I voted for Kiki yeah. Friedman, so I, you, you can't blame me.
0: There you go. All oh, right. Yeah, we, we, we like that. Uh, that's, that's a good guest, man. You see, I always sometimes people mention somebody like, ooh, yeah, that's that's. A oh, good Kinky's idea. the best. I bet you could make that happen, Pete.
3: We, we, I could. Yeah, hopefully Kinky will be down in the fall. But you know, everything's so strange right now. But Kinky's a great friend, and uh, sure, <laughs> we've had many great nights with Mojo and Kinky.
0: Oh yeah, yeah, I'll bet. But uh, so then another uh, high concept band that seems unlikely, I was surprised is uh, a Polka Pete band you have. It's oh the, yeah. It's the band Polka, I hardly know her.
3: The Polka, I Hardly Know her band was one of my greatest concepts ever, if you're talking about concepts, but right So I always wanted like my grandparents used to make me watch the Lawrence Walk show. They didn't have to make me because I loved it, but that was part of the thing. If we, if we were going to go to the Pittsburgh Pirates games, and get the tickets to the games, we had to sit and watch the Lawrence Welk Show with them while they sang and danced, and they had a great time. This is my grandparents up in Pittsburgh. And so anyways, I always, I loved the polka. It was deep down in me. So I got myself an accordion, taught myself how to play it. It's completely different from the piano. It's a completely different concept. And uh, so I taught myself how to play it, and then I talked to all my knucklehead friends into, you know, All right, Alan Hill, you play the tuba, you know, good time. You play the snare drum. Tomas, you play the bass drum, and we'll start a marching band and start playing polkas. And so we did. It was great. And we were having a blast, and we'd get shit-faced and have a great time playing polka as barely as we could. And we went in, we started getting kind of good. So let's go cut some songs, you know. And so we, we were cutting a record, and it was right. I was watching the Astros like crazy. It was right when they're heading to the World Series, it's definitely going that way. I was literally watching every game, every pitch, and and I wrote this little song called "The Altuve Polka." And so we went in the studio. Like, hey guys, let's just cut this song, and we cut it. Like, yeah, hey, that sounds great. Let's make a little video. So we made a little video of us at the in the studio and and at it. And you know, we filmed some stuff out of a ball field just to make it you know basebally. And a friend of mine is a great videographer, Jason. You put it together. And we released it. And we literally released this thing like maybe, you know, a couple hundred people will see this video and (laughs) notice our polka band. That'd be great. And so we're watching this thing literally the day we released it. And a couple, wow, 100 people watched it. Wait a minute, 500 people watched it. Holy mackerel, 1,000 people watched it. And then, you know, 10,000 people watched it. And then the news called like, hey, we see your video can you will you be on the news like all right sure we'll go on the news we we'll do it on the news like wait a minute 50,000 people saw it you know then 100,000 people saw it it's it like it just went nuts in town nice and and the astros went on they won the world series and you know and they, they cheated yeah of course why wouldn't yeah you? they cheated I mean and if everybody's cheating, cheating you gotta you gotta join the you gotta join the team right so the owner, the owner of the uh, Astros, Tim Crane, gave me a ticket right behind home plate in uh, uh, Game uh, Six that the, the Astros came back, or Game Five, which sent them back to uh, uh, Los Angeles to win it out there. And I'm sitting there with Larry King, the talk show host, and Mary Hart, the the uh, you know the old Entertainment Tonight gal. Right. I'm sitting in the section right behind home plate with all the like bigwigs from, you know, <laughs> L.A. <laughs> I'm in my full polka gear. Everywhere I walk in the stadium, everybody's like, Polish
2: feet, oh, my God, oh, that's good. Oh, I love you, man. Oh,
3: and so I'm getting every Astro fan in that section up, cheering, saying, and that game was incredible. It was back and forth all game, and I'm ribbing with Larry King about the game.
2: Oh, you know, ah, we got you. Oh, we got you now. Oh, we don't know. Hey,
3: look at us coming back. We win the game. It was unbelievable. We're going to win the World Series. And immediately, we're all watching the World Series in the bar. We had the bar closed because nobody was, you know, we're not a sports bar. Everybody was at a sports bar watching the game. It was just a band in there watching. As soon as the game, as soon as we won, the Astros called us like, we're having a parade next week, and we want you to lead the parade. They're like, oh, my God, this is too much. And so crazy. We, we led the parade. And literally, the parade was us on a float they built for us. With Nolan Ryan and all these big wigs on the float, and the team, in two fire trucks behind us, all in their uniforms on up on top of the fire trucks, and that uh-huh. was the parade in front of a million people. A million people came downtown to see that parade that day. It was a beautiful day in Houston. It was incredible. Yeah, there should show. be an
1: asterisk though by that championship, if you ask me.
3: An astroic, please pronounce it correctly. Uh, okay, an there astroid. you go. There you go.
0: That had to be a thrill of a lifetime, Pete. It was
3: a thrill of a lifetime. You can say what you want after it, but at that moment, it was incredible. You know, it was really incredible. So with our little stupid polka band, Polish Pete and the Polka hardly Hardly Her Band. <laughs> 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 One of my favorite jokes,
0: Polka Hardly Knower. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Besides all the bands you've started, you've you've played as a side man and a lot of uh, with a lot of a lot of greats. Yeah, and I've had
3: a great great uh, run with that, you know. And I work regularly with Archie Bell, the Tighten Up here in Houston, Texas, and my great friend Roy Head, who passed away last year. I loved working with him. Doug Somm introduced me to him years ago, and I just like Roy was. Like a father to all us, he was just awesome. And uh,
0: What an incredible dynamic performer, Roy. Unbelievable, Dan, man.
3: unbelievable. I mean, I've seen him t- go somersault off the front of a three-foot stage, land on his feet, and I thought for <laughs> sure he was going to die. But Roy used to always call me after every gig like, Pete, I want to just say, Pete, I love you. I, I tell you, it was a great weekend, but, you know, I just got out of the hospital, my shoulders broke, my head hurts, and uh, I, I can't walk so <laughs> good, but, Pete, I just I had to. Had to call and tell you I love you, and we'll do it again soon. And uh, every time Roy had called, you never, I never answered it. I'd always let him leave a message and record it, and then uh-huh. I call him back because <laughs> the messages he he would leave are so good. And he'd always call at Thanksgiving, Christmas, and you know it was it Roy was absolutely the best, and Archie's just the greatest too. He is the greatest. We've had so much fun. We have a, a big meet and greet show with Archie he had a little health problem recently and we got a big show at the club, uh, September 4th, uh, where Archie will be there and everybody in Houston, can come down and say hi. Uh, oh,
0: right know, on. A nice.
3: Stroke and so yeah, take care of him with whatnot, but yeah, I've also had the great play with playing with Wanda Jackson, who's just the sweetest played so many shows with her playing piano for her, you know, and you know, That's- Wanda Jackson is the most incredible woman out there. she, she dated right. Elvis for crying out loud. Right. I mean, right. she is, she is the queen of rock and roll rockabilly. There'd be no ladies in rock and roll without Wanda Jackson.
0: Now does, does Wanda lay a bunch of Jesus stuff on you when you play with her? Is she Not at all.
3: That? Not at all. You know, she does have that and she does her little speech at the end when we play, I saw the light, but, uh, she she doesn't preach it to you. She tells you that's right what on. she she likes and that's what she believes in and if that, you know, you want to think about it, go ahead. If you don't, don't, you know.
0: Right on. Right uh, on.
3: But she's she's an old rock and roller at heart, you know. She's not going to she's not going to tell you what to do. Rock and roll is going to tell you what to do. So And I, you know, I did have the pleasure of playing with Chuck Berry.
0: Yes, I was just about to ask you about that. Tell us the Chuck Berry cuz of course notoriously Chuck Berry uh didn't ever carry a band.
1: Carried a band.
3: And I do have one of the distinct honors, uh, you know, promoter put us together and we played a, at the Galveston Mardi Gras, which uh, was a big outdoor show, and, you know, mm-hmm. thousands of people out there on a big stage. And, and we played in, in, you know, Chuck, of course, pulled up behind the outdoor stage, handed a briefcase of money. He counted it all in the rental <laughs> Mercedes that he had driven down from Houston. and then, okay, he, he will go on stage and play. The money's all there. He came on stage. We played. But, it, you know, it was all kind of weird before him. But once he hit the stage, and we really worked hard to play Chuck Berry songs like they should be played. And, every, nice. you know, people think, oh, it's just one for five. It's no problem. No, but if you listen to Chuck Berry songs, you need to know how to play them properly.
0: Like, yeah, it's very specific. You know, the 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 bass player is often playing in two. He's not playing in right. four. Right. And- you
3: can't just boom, boom 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 boom. You can't just do that. You have to know what's what yep. the song is doing. And we did all that homework. And and I've been playing that stuff my whole life. I love Johnny Johnson, Lafayette Leak. I love that style of piano. Yeah. And uh, and so he loved it. He absolutely loved it. He was, there's so many great pictures of that show, him over smiling at me, coming around the edge of the piano <laughs> with me. And then I had the ultimate, uh, you know, I didn't really get to talk to him after the show. And uh, I will say we, uh, we vamped, he got off stage and got into his car and, and like, and we couldn't get a picture with him after the show. And, I you know, and it, he drove off. I mean, like that was his thing.
0: He was driving off while y'all were still playing.
3: Yeah. And when he, but when he came back to Texas a couple years later, uh, at the Paramount theater in Austin, he asked for me. Wow. So I I couldn't have been more thrilled. And on that show, you know, there's a beautiful grand piano on stage. And, uh, he was all smiles that night and I got to hang out with him backstage and Pine Top Perkins was back there too and the two of them were just talking old times and it was uh just a, a great night and he was wow. he I got some amazing pictures that night of him coming around and playing with me on the piano and smiling and just loving every minute so
0: Right and appreciating that you had that you love the music enough to to know how to play it really yeah. play it
3: the way he likes it played so yep. yeah that was that's one of my greatest moments ever
0: I'll bet man, i'll bet and then and then you 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 worked with the uh the r and b wild man andre williams
3: andre yeah andre was absolutely you never knew what you're going to get with Andre. And, but it was always great. I mean, like I said, I love nut jobs and I love, you know, and Andre never let me down. And yeah. my buddy, <laughs> uh, Skipper owns Pravda records up in Chicago, started working with him. And so he would bring him down just Skipper and Andre would come to Texas and we would put the band together da- down here and, and, you know, do Dallas and Houston, Austin, wherever we could. And, uh, you know, in the early days, Andre was just, you know, as as drunk as he could be. You know, he always needed to go get Shorty out of jail, which was means go to the liquor store and get him a fifth of Bacardi right now. You know, I need to get Shorty out of jail.
2: Like, oh,
3: okay, <laughs> go to the liquor store. But he always put on a great show, you know, and and always to the nines. But it was off stage. When he was drinking, that it was like, "Whoa, this is we're on a whole new level here." You're dealing with something else. There's a great Andre documentary about to come, come out that Skipper's been working on for a few years, and I've seen parts oh. of it. it. It's amazing. I'm interviewed it and whatnot. But um, cool. But I will say, the last time I saw Andre, I was up. I was on tour. I did a tour with Eric Lindell, and we were up in Chicago, and uh, and uh, I went with Skipper over. Andre was in a nursing home. And mm-hmm. we went over to see him, and this is the last time I saw him. And uh he was just as nice as he could be. He'd stopped drinking. And he was like he was like Andre was like a like a kindergartner, you know, he was just like as happy and just as nice as he could be. And he came down to the show that night and he didn't quite have all his wits with him, but he was uh. dressed to the nines and he walked in and everybody in the room turned like, Who's that motherfucker? And that's what right. Andre always wanted wherever he was he was always just now in you go to the airport with andre like every head turned, like who's that motherfucker and that's that's what he always wanted in into his last days that's what he did uh nice he was the best he was the best and we put on some great shows he has so many great songs and and yeah just some amazing stuff on stage that you know uh I mean, the one night here at the Continental Club will tell this quick story. He says, I want to give out some awards tonight. And I go, okay. Well, I don't know what the, where this is going, but this should be good. You know, and I, <laughs> first off, I want to get out the award for the most promising pussy in the house. <laughs> and he, oh, like, yeah. Some chick in the front row like, all right, here we go. This is good stuff. Keep it going, Andre. I mean, <laughs> what's the next award? I don't know. <laughs> right, right he was a nut he was an absolute nut the best of nuts
0: nice nice pete on the troubleman podcast we we like to say we talk about good times and air grievances so uh you know we're kind of on the downslope of the podcast but uh i know you're you're a nice guy you're a friendly guy and 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 uh, everybody wants to have you around do you have uh do you have any grievances that you want to air about the music business or uh you know or you don't even have to name names if uh, i don't know
3: well, you know, my grievance, I guess, would be is the music business on the whole, unfortunately. From where I started when I was a kid, and I started as a kid because music was given to kids to play as a thing to do, you know. And kids don't play music anymore, you know. And rock and roll, to me, unfortunately, is a fucking dying thing. It's not a sustainable thing if the kids don't play it anymore or the kids want to do you know gaming or you know rapping or beats or whatever they're doing you know djing it's just not a thing anymore and that that bothers me and that makes it hard to sustain the clubs you know into if you're not not having the kids come out you're only having the older folks coming out and that doesn't you know that's a dying thing. So you,
0: you don't have the next generation of bands uh, doing it. You don't have the next generation of of uh, fans who right. relate to those bands who to
3: or who look up to them and like, wow, that band. I just discovered this band. They're twenty years older than me, but they're awesome. You know, and I am going to see them like when I was a kid and saw Bo Diddley or whatever. You know, like right that is. You know, d- I just don't think that happens nearly as much anymore.
0: Yeah, I mean, you still have great bands like Southern Culture on the Skids. We were talking about them the other day. You know, long-standing bands, still fucking fantastic. Uh, you know, comes and sells out the Continental clubs a couple of couple of nights. You know, every several times a year, but uh, it's it's not twenty-year-olds coming to see them.
3: Yeah, it's 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 older and older every year, and which is which it's it's tough to sustain, you know and that, know,
1: that means your uh, parking lot has to have more handicapped spaces.
3: <laughs> right. Well, that's the other thing is everybody wants to have these seated shows, and you know when we do the seated, sell our seated tickets. Those would sell first, and you know me, I like people sweating, drooling, spitting, throwing beer up front. You know that's that's right. what I do. You know is rock and roll. You know Jerry, Lee, people never sat down at Jerry Lee Lewis show. You know.
0: Well, uh, so, Pete, thank you so much for coming on the podcast, man. And I know, you know, we're all staring into the abyss uh, in the, the entertainment business and just in, in, in you know, life in general. We're going to have to have to figure this out. But, uh, man, I uh, can't wait to get back to the, uh, the Continental Club there in Houston. And, can't uh, wait and, to have
3: you. Yeah, for yeah, sure. Man. And, uh, yeah, thank you, fellas. It's an honor to be a troubled man
0: appreciate it <laughs> Thank you man Thank you very much Fit right in Pete Well yeah. uh, Pete You know as always In the Troubled Nation We like to say uh, Trouble never ends
1: But the struggle continues hey! Good night
0: Good night
2: Not too short He's ten feet tall Comes the bat He hits the ball Let's all cheer out To Bay hand, has the crown, he's our man, let's all cheer out to bay. It's one here, it's one there, it's everywhere. A double over here, home run over there. It's one here, it's one there, it's everywhere. Let's all cheer out to bay. It's the ball where they ain't, in our town, he's a saint, let's all cheer out to bay. Let's all cheer out to Venom Series. Let's all cheer out to babe. The Dodger team will be so blue when Jose...